Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not replace your own financial, tax, legal, or financial product advice. Without a doubt, if investing is for the long term, you need to understand the ownership of your investments because if you have to sell or move these investments, it could have tax consequences. Further, ownership structures can be important for year-on-year tax efficiencies, asset protection, and ease of management. Welcome to My Millennial Money. I'm Glenn James, and I'm just reading a little bit of the ownership overview section. If you are a keen investor or want to get invested into shares, I talk about all the types of ownerships, platforms, structures in the book, Sort Your Money Out and Get Invested. It's available now. There's a link in the show notes. I'm so pumped to uh, get this into your hot little hands. Today on the podcast, we've got Shami. She's the digital host of the ABC Instagram account. If you follow this account, you would have seen her. We just do a My Millennial Story. You'll hear from this episode, we just go out into the weeds and end up talking about immigrants and she answers a lot of questions that I have, generally speaking, because just in my life, I don't have any immigrants in my close network of friends, so it's always important to hear uh, other people's stories. So we'll talk about her journey, her experience, how she manages money, all the good stuff. You're in great hands. Thanks for listening. Let's have a chat with Shami. Shami, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for having me, Glenn. I'm really excited to be here. Now, how can I pronounce your surname? Uh, it's Siva Subramanian. And when I was in kindergarten, I kind of turned it into a rap, which I thought was fun. It was like S-I-V-A-S-U-B-R-A-M-A-N-I-A-N. And wow. hilariously enough, every time there was a substitute teacher, every kid would be like, go tell her your surname, go tell her your surname. And then I'd tell her and she'd be like, okay, cool story. And they're like, no, 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 do the rap, do the rap. And I'd do the rap. And, they're, and the teacher's like, I, usually all of these substitute teachers are very tired, you know, such as the nature of these things. It's like, ah, oh. so, um, but it was fun. At least my friends liked it. Yeah, totally. <laughs> I hope, now, I hope that puts it in your memory. <laughs> no, that's fine. Now, you're new-ish to your role um, being the digital host of the ABC Instagram. And I'll, I'll just probably say at the outset, everyone, uh, this is uh, Shami's personal story. She's not representing ABC or any of that legal crap. Thank you. Uh, we're just having a chat. And I so I followed the ABC News Instagram page and I saw uh, her videos and explainers. I thought, oh, everyone follows this. I might get her on and share her millennial story. So, we're here now. Uh, Tell us a little bit about yourself. Okay. That's not a loaded question at all, Glenn. I love that. No. Um, uh, People can't see me, but I uh, have changed my part to a center part recently. I know a few people, I don't know if you guys are familiar with the millennial memes where if you wear skinny jeans and you part your head to the side, you're a millennial. And and I work in social media and at the... uh, and that's some like sad attempt to kind of stay young and relevant. I've made my center, I've made my hair center parted. Uh, that I think should explain in a nutshell who I am. 
<laughs> but if you'd like a few more specificities, uh, I'm Shami Sivasubramanian. I'm currently the digital host of ABC News Instagram. Uh, pretty much I tell really quick, snappy uh, bulletins in bite-sized chunks in about 60 seconds to explain uh, uh, concepts that would be uh, a bit more complicated if you had to read them. Like Sometimes reading an article can be a bit tedious. Sometimes you can read an article and you still don't really get it. It's nice to have someone just tell you. And so this is me. Uh, I'm, I'm that person. I will go and do all the research, talk to the experts, get stuff checked, and then just save you all that heartache and tell you what you need to know. Love it. What was your childhood like growing up? Like you're living in Bondi at the moment. Have you always lived in Bondi? What was it like for you growing up? No, I I moved here. (laughs) I moved here in February, 2020. So just before the pandemic hit. And then I was like, oh no, the pandemic has hit and I can't travel as much. And then Bondi became the Petri dish of Australia. And I was like, oh, that's this is great. Great timing for me. Uh, my childhood was a decently good one. I come from an Indian-Australian family. I moved here when I was a, a three-month-old infant from India. My mom was too pregnant to travel. So the moment the doctor gave a clearance, it was like, yep, you can go. Uh, and then uh, we lived in Sydney for most of that time. And then uh, when I was about 10 years old, almost 10, my dad's job took him to the States. And so we all often moved to California and we lived in uh, LA for about a year and then lived in the Silicon Valley for about a year and a half. So I, I don't know if my twang is coming out. Probably won't come out as much in this interview because uh, I will be triggered by your Australian accent and you'll keep me in check. But if I speak to anyone with the mildest of a twang, it's just like America Central right here. It's, it's just, it's very, very strong. So how long were you in the States for? We were there for just shy of three years, but I had a really lovely music coach that I, that I was connecting with. And so when we moved back to Sydney, I take a month off every year in high school. So we moved back just in time for high school. Right. And I take a month off every year in high school and travel abroad and stay at her place and train. So I'm uh, technically I'm a concert grade Indian classical vocalist. I sing Carnatic music. And I was trained in that formally for 16 years and I still sing. Uh, to this day, my mother only introduces me to people as a vocalist. Journalism is but a phase. <laughs> Yeah. Um, but, uh, yeah, so I, I went back and forth quite a bit as well after, after that three and a bit year stint. Yeah. Hey, yeah. Uh, what was your view of money growing up? Um, Indian parents, that society, that culture, obviously that's coming with your family. Mm. Um, so you're experiencing that growing up. What was it like for you? I think growing up, my parents never made me feel like I, like we didn't have enough money for anything, but also to be responsible. It was this idea of not having a scarcity mindset, but also not letting that mean you you kind of act willy-nilly. And that, I think, translated to how I perceive money as well, if that makes sense. Uh, there was also a lot of uh, emphasis on building wealth and building uh, – and wealth, not just again in money, it, in wealth in education, wealth in, in, in knowledge, wealth in uh, generosity and in just your own values. And again, that just translated to money again. Uh, I like to think of, uh, of um, this is a bit, this might be a bit tangential, but uh, when people talk about astrology, because uh, my, my grandfather reads birth charts and I, I also read birth charts, it's just a fun little thing I do. Uh, when you think of the planet Venus and what Venus represents. It represents value and value is uh, your beauty, your your aesthetics, your, uh, your heart, love, and also money. And so how 
a lot of the time people don't see how beauty and money and 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 generosity and kindness and all of those things kind of fit in the same bubble, but they kind of do when you start looking at it from a perspective of value. And I guess that's kind of the mentality with which I've always approached money, just because it it sits kind of quite neatly with the rest of those concepts. Mm. What was your family and I guess your parents' view of consumer debt? They've always been quite responsible. So I just, I think I grew up quite responsible about it. I, 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 well, okay, maybe I should have started with this. My mother has an MBA. She got an MBA at 21. Uh, she's one of those kind of freaks. And my dad uh, also works in corporate. So I grew up around that. They have investment properties. They have a portfolio. They have a financial manager. Like these are things they just grew up with. And so uh, they, but they never really talked about that kind of stuff with my sister or with me. Uh, we just kind of got around our day and there was just a lot more emphasis on just being educated and just the wealth of knowledge and, and not compromising that, like valuing study more than valuing how much money you'll make at the end of the day. Uh, so, so I guess it was just always very responsible. We never explicitly discussed these things, but I think just tacitly there was not a fear in conservatism around money, but a pride and responsibility. And that pride and responsibility, I think, gave us the freedom to know when we should spend money and when we shouldn't spend money and not be afraid of those moments. Sure, they're like immigrant parents are afraid of everything, right? They're very security driven. And so there's constant fears and anxiety around everything. But uh, at the end of the day, they were still able to inculcate a sense of uh, uh, a surety in ourselves where if we do need to spend money and put it, the money on the table, like if... For example, if, if I'm if I'm going to a party and I want to buy my friend a present, they're like, yes, you could spend $20 on this gift that you don't care about. Or you could spend $50 or 70 bucks on this gift that you do care about. She's your friend. You like her. It says more about you as a person, making sure that you give the right gift that, that comes from your heart. Also, it's only $20 more. Trust in your ability to make that money at some point. That was also a phrase that I'd hear a lot. Just trust in your ability that you can make the money back one day. You are smart enough and you are capable enough. I, I feel like I'm giving you a lot of answers and they're kind of no, everywhere. No, it's just, I guess at the end of the day, I never really sat down and thought about these things. And yeah. now that I'm thinking about them with you, I'm realizing that all of the lessons I've learned around money, even though both my parents come from even an academic background of money, and, and I have an economics degree too, all of the lessons I learned were never explicit. They were just simply uh, by watching them. Yeah, it's interesting though, like I'm sure you've met people, I've met people, there are people listening that maybe are highly, highly educated, but are in credit card debt, are in personal loan debt from holidays, because there is such a, a disconnection with yeah. our head knowledge and our behaviours. And it's just always interesting when you hear people's stories about what they've learned, because you'll learn from your parents about money from watching them and being around them more so uh, from them telling you how to manage it, right? True, true. And that being said, I've tried to sit down with my parents multiple times being like, hey, you guys know stuff. Can you help me maybe enter the stock market, enter the this? And I, and again, I have a degree in economics. I should know better. So there's a lot of moments in my life where I'm like, why am I not able to have side hustles? Why am I not able to have 
uh, create a portfolio? Why am I not able to uh, just make an appointment with a financial advisor and have these chats and start investing? Like, why am I not able to do these things? I, I don't want to reveal too much about the state of where I am at just because I, I am a journalist and I work for the public broadcaster and there's a level of... Well, it's, it's thing, really I mean, irrelevant anyway. True. Um, that's, that's also true. I feel like I am in a position where I'm not really allowed to be saying that I don't know that much around building my own wealth, especially if I've had all these resources growing up on some level. And and again, I'm educated in this space. Uh, but I, I wonder if that's also a barrier for a lot of people where there's a disconnect, right? Because there's a lack of education around money. Like, I'll be frank with you, there is a lack of education around money. But even for those of us who are educated, still feel that way, must must just explain how how big a schism there is. Yeah. And I think with a lot of you know, what I'm doing in the personal finance world, and I was a financial advisor for, you know, 12, 13 years or however long it was, you know, I would go to other money seminars that they go, oh, it's a beginner money seminar for this. And they dive straight in talking about, oh, and we can do negative gearing and this. It's like, well, 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 it's beginner in your world, but for the average garden variety person that's out there, no, we need to go even more basic concepts. And I think, um, I guess what I'm doing with my millennial money is trying to bridge that gap between straight off the street, getting a baseline level of understanding and concepts and personal finance to then empower people to start to find things and research themselves. And then they can go and get professional advice. I don't know. I think that's lovely. I think that's cool. It's this idea of um, making, teaching a man to fish so they can, you know, feed themselves. That yeah. Or in my, um, because I'm currently doing book promotions at the moment. Mm. I'll send you a copy of my book. Please. Edith, thank you as well. Oh, um, I, one of the chapter titles or the titles of the heading or whatever it was, it was, um, I'll teach you to fish or, and then in bar- brackets I put, or grow soybeans or something just to kind of like, <laughs> you know, vegan. Oh no, uh, vegetarian stuff. I am vegetarian. So the yeah, fish so, thing would not work for me, yeah. but I'm glad you hey, catered for my needs. <laughs> before we uh, move on to kind of, you know, because I want to talk about your life and some sacrifices and whatnot. And, you know, there's a risk that um, as a broadcaster, like, and there's a risk for you putting something on ABC, Instagram, you know, in 25 years, someone's going to look at that and we'll get cancelled because, you know, we've said something that, you know, at the time is normal, but in 25 years or whatever, anyway, we won't go there. But at the risk of being cancelled in 20 years, I want to just maybe ask you a question for my own um, curiosity and for those listening. Go ahead. It's a safe space. So India, it's a huge country, huge population, huge divide between poverty and wealth. Like India's got it all, right? Like if Australia's got it all, India's got more of it type of thing. Um, Go with me. I'm listening. Don't worry. Don't worry. worry. Is there a, I guess from my own experience in business, dealing with um, some immigrants from India in particular, I picked up a cultural thing that there was a sense that, everyone I'm dealing with is trying to rip me off. So I'm going to be extra cautious and no, Glenn, that can't be right. You, that's not right. Like I just got this vibe that a lot who I were dealing with, they felt like I was screwing them just by default. And I wonder, and these were people that moved to Australia um, after they were a teenager, like maybe early 20s. 
So I'm wondering, like, is there something in the culture in India in particular that is this everyone's out to screw you in some places? Does that resonate? I know why you're saying that. Yeah. The short answer is no. And the long answer, let me let me explain it to yeah. you because I know where I know where you're coming from. And I'm glad you posed this question to me and not to someone else who would have hundred percent bit your head off. And I understand why you were so hesitant in asking it, but I'm glad because it's conversations like these that are that are important to have. What you're seeing is the immigrant experience. Right. You're not seeing the India experience. I worked in India actually right after grad school. So I, I have a bachelor's degree in economics and a master's degree in media arts and production. And uh Right after it, my dad at the time was working in India. He was seconded there. Both my parents moved there and my sister and I were just in Australia hanging out. And uh, after grad school, dad was like, look, journalism is an interesting field. Have you considered the world of comms? And also, yeah. I, they pay you more and you have a massive hex debt. And also, you're great at talking and convincing people of things. So just, yeah, this is, this is good for you. Um, and you like wearing pretty clothes. So, you know, corporate. Uh, anyway, went there. And when I was in India there was a small tacit thing I noticed, which is I was somehow the more, for lack of a better word, repressed. Like everyone there seemed more modern. They were cool. Young people in India are vibing. Older people in India also super chill. This weird notion of no one dates and everyone's like scared and that their kid's going to be gay or like stuff like that. None of that really exists in, in, in the in the circles, at least I move in or the circles that I think most uh, the people that you'd be conversing with move in. Sure. My experience isn't everyone's experience. And I understand that there, there are multiple narratives to consider, but to answer your question a bit more specifically, it's the immigrant experience that you're seeing to be an immigrant is very scary. You have left a country where you know people and you have a family and just the, I don't know how to put a finger on this, but the fact that everyone was brown somehow shifted things. I don't even know how to put a finger on it, but it did. And I, when I came back home and went back to work here, I could feel it. It was something I'd never felt before. I thought like, no, I'm, I'm fine. I'm cool. Everyone likes me. Like, sure, racism exists, but if everyone likes me, um, it, I, I moved through the world just fine. But all of a sudden I could feel that, that disjunct that I'd never sensed before. And so these are things people in their 20s or 30s who are, who are still very young and have spent their whole lives studying and, 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 and trying to, to develop a, 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 a something of themselves in a very competitive country, first of all, and uh, then decide to make their wealth in another country. It's just such a risk. Like the amount of fear and courage it takes to do for any immigrant of any background Add to that the Indian background because you know it's very it's it's very obvious it's a very uh, like you look at someone you can tell it's a, the color of their skin their their bone structure so many fears and it's taken them so many risks to get to that point they don't have the luxury to fail here's the thing it's not about a fear of failure people keep talking about people have a fear of failure they're so scared they don't have grace for themselves when they fail and they have all this negative self-talk it's not about that it's it's the fact that every time you learn it, it inevitably means you're gonna have to fail a bit right life on some level regardless of how well you've studied is, a, is an act of trial and error and every act of error is 
is, look, still failure, but it's time consuming and you lose time. It's time you didn't have to begin with. It's like you're trying to sit an exam and you don't get to study for it. And here's the thing, you're not a bad student, you're a really good student and you want to study, but the time you take to study is time that you wouldn't be sitting the exam. So you've lost like an hour on a, th- on a two hour paper. And so by the time, so you have to constantly make these very impossible decisions. It's like, do I cut my right hand off or my left hand off? Like, what do I do? Like, that is the state of affairs for really every immigrant out there uh, on on some level. And so every time they're posed with really anything, should I take the two-ply toilet paper or the three-ply? Should I invest 20000 in this or 30000 Should I invest, should I get this residential, should I get this investment property now? Should I get it later? Should I put my children in private school or should I put them in public school? What's going to be better for them in the long run? Like all of these decisions, every single one is just it might not seem like the gravity of those decisions uh, it, it really should weigh upon them, but they do. And not because they just have mad anxiety or there's a mental health situation. I'm sure that's a layer, but it's not. It's because they don't have the luxury to be not flippant, but to, to go with the flow. They don't have the luxury. And when they, and a lot of, okay. And the, the biggest thing is this, when a lot of those immigrants, particularly because the ones you're dealing with, I presume, are are people who are probably of my parents' vintage more so, uh, because they've lived their life with so much precision, they have finally afforded people like me and my sister the luxury to take those risks and not be afraid. Natalie Portman actually talks about this too. Like, so... A, real, a white woman, sure, she's from Israel and she's an immigrant. She yeah. was born in Jerusalem, she comes from a very, very ethnic family, but uh, she's white, so people don't question it as much with her. Mm. But uh, she would say this in interviews all the time where I'd get a 98 on a test and my parents would be like, why don't you get a 100? But, you know, that's just immigrants. And yeah. that's the thing. Your parents aren't mad at you because you got a 98 on a test. Please, anybody's parents are proud of them for doing well. And that that's a ridiculous notion. It's the idea that the world is so com- – they know – that you don't have the luxury to 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 fail, not because you're not amazing. It's this idea that uh, my parents used to raise me a lot with this idea that we know you're great, we know you're amazing, but the world doesn't always have grace for that. And if you want to survive in this world, you have to be cognizant of that. You don't have to necessarily change who you are, but you have to be cognizant of that. And that awareness is important and then make choices with that awareness in mind. And if they weren't privy to that awareness from day dot and they've had to learn as they go, they're going to be cautious. And that's, and it's not from a place of anxiety. It's from a place of, uh, of necessity. And, and if anything, a place of Zen. Yeah. I, well, I'm just scribbling down while you're saying this, cause I'm a bit of a visual learner and you've unpacked this in a way for me to understand. So I drew a line. Okay. Mm. And above that line, I wrote four words, experience, education, like intellect and culture. So all these things can, they're above the line and they kind of differ, right? Now, what is under the line, which can trump all of those things, I wrote down two words, human nature. So what you've kind of told me, I've drawn a parallel back to you know, the people that I used as an example, and I can remember three specific cases of this, oh, it feels like Glenn's trying to rip me off. 
these were people um, in their mid forties on good incomes, and by good incomes, four fifty to two million dollars, like really good income. So they didn't have to quote unquote worry on paper or above the line because above the line, you know, you could even put wealth above the line. They've got money, they've got, but because of all this stuff is above the line. There's one thing underneath, which is human nature that can kind of get baked in. And I guess what I'm getting at is the same parallels that we might see here. You know, you may have been a uni student for four years. You know, you were born in Australia, you know, lived out in suburbia, uni student, no like earning no money or living on youth allowance, you know, counting your pennies, um, you know, shopper dockets, you know, discount vouchers, living really tight and frugal get your first job earning a hundred grand, but you're still living as if you were you were the uni student where the facts say that, no, you don't have to live that way because you that's all done. But because all that experience has been baked into your human nature, that's the the tough one. I know what you're saying. I, I know what you mean. And I probably I said it really mean. bad because I said it off the cuff. I understand. But- I, I know what you mean, but- a- Perhaps it's a it's a morsel of that, but it's also understand it's not so much that they're living in that past headset or that past mindset rather. It's they know what it took to get here. Yeah. And so that model got them so far. So they're continuing the model. Sure, there's a layer of anxiety. Sure, there's a layer of trauma. Sure, there's a layer of all of these things. But I think it's very, very easy, particularly in our day and age, to put those labels on there and then dismiss that the reality is every single concern and even how it presents somatically in their body when they're when they're talking to you doesn't come from a lack of perspective, but from uh, not ample perspective, but from from a complete 360 view that perhaps you don't have. And- uh, Well, I think it's just, it's like, so for me, white Australian, you know, borderline Bogan lives on the central coast. <laughs> like these conversations that I'm having with you right now and me just throwing out thoughts randomly and then you responding with a thought or from your experience, these conversations actually are the best ones for me as a podcaster and for me as a human because they are the most rich conversations that I wouldn't even get to have if I didn't have this bloody podcast. I'm so glad. I feel like I don't know, look, perhaps perhaps there are more people out there like me, but I don't know many people like my sister or like me who've who've been able to engage in these conversations with people uh, who have questions like you have. And and your questions aren't coming from a place of of malice. They just like, I, I want to know, let me just come up, please, please. I want to know. But I also know that to ask these questions can burden someone from that, who, who, who's, who's from a different culture. Uh, I know we have a shared culture, but also my other culture. So it's, it's hard to find a person who's willing to talk, but I think, uh, something that my sister and I have, which I don't know how else to describe it to you, but a lot of the time You'll have me and you'll have someone else who's also from an Indian background next to me. Uh, sometimes they'll have a Western first name or they'll mispronounce their first name or or they won't even speak an Indian language. And somehow compared to them, I'm always considered the white one, always right. I'm the wider one. And I and 
the irony is this, again, I'm a concert grade Indian classical vocalist. I speak three Indian languages. I uh, used to teach Sunday school. I'm a practicing Hindu. Like there's, there's a lot to me. Um, the yogurt doesn't go on the same shelf as the rice in my fridge. Like there are so many things about me that, uh, that I know. So if I had to make a list of what makes me Indian, the color of my skin is completely incidental. It is for everyone, but it, it would be at least number 12 at the most on that list, you know, uh, which I think is something maybe a lot of other people of color in general don't resonate with. And a lot of, uh, for lack of a better word, white people live in this weird dichotomy where the color of their skin does identify them, but also completely doesn't. Like they have the luxury to not have to think about the color of their skin. Uh, and, and, and I think it's it's that, it's, it's that being able to find someone who's a person of color who doesn't factor in the color of their skin as part of their identity is rare. And it's rare for a reason. Like, look, again, I've been raised with enough security in my heart to know who I am, which is, again, a, a testament to how my parents raised me. So there's that. But uh, it's, it's also a function of, of growing up. A lot of people don't have that luxury to, to, be, to be raised with that much security in them or to have that much connection to their culture, to know that who they are is beyond their physical uh, and is also informed by it. Like, I'm not naive. Obviously, I have brown skin and I, I get that. When people look at me, that's one of the first things they see. Like, trust me, I have enough trolls who send me DMs constantly uh, to that effect. Uh, but uh, I think these conversations are rare because it's, yeah. it's, it, it's rare to find people who... Someone has to be able to bridge that gap to be able to talk. And I don't think a lot of white people have no have the know-how to bridge that gap. Not because they're bad at it, they just don't know. And a lot of people of color have been in a position where they've never had the luxury or the strength to be able to also bridge that gap. So I'm glad that we're in a position that I I can um, have these kind of conversations and we can talk and get somewhere. It's lovely. Yeah, it's good because like you really, you know, see the world how you experience it. And, you know, and that's what I mean. I've become a richer person for having this podcast just because of the conversations that I can have. And, you know, I saw a stat the other day, 49% of Australians at the moment are like immigrants or something like that to the effect that weren't born here. I might be actually really butchering that. Uh, you might be able to fact check that on- um, Sure, I'll, I'll gladly fact check it, but I'm sure that's- Like it was a high amount- so I think these conversations are very important. And yes, it's a money podcast, but you know what can you learn? And I'm not talking to you, Shami, I'm talking to my listeners now. What can you learn from this conversation where we're talking about experiences and seeing things from someone else's view uh, about money? Because you know I, I've shared the example once, and this is interesting because for me, again, this is my experience. So this is how I've seen the world. Um, somebody that I knew grew up in government housing and um, parents were immigrants and it was always live week to week, you know, no luxuries and all that. And as a 25-year-old, we were at a cafe once and this person, I was short like 50 cents or 20 cents to pay. I was just, it was actually 20 cents to pay for the coffee. Anyway, I said, oh, has anyone got 20 cents? And this person gave it to me and I paid the coffee, all good. Half an hour later, back in my car, they asked me if they could have that 20 cents back. And for me, it was just fascinating because we both worked full-time jobs. And yeah. I, I ended up saying, oh, I've only got 50 cents, here, take it, like keep the change. Like, so it's just 
this person had that view because they had grown up with such scarcity and it just has not left their vibe or human nature. See, to, to give you a parallel, so I, if, I, if I had, to, I would have just bought you the coffee. So in, in this position, if I was there, I would have bought you the coffee. However, if I dropped five cents on the ground because I was rattling through stuff in my bag and five cents fell out and I had to rush off, I wouldn't be like, eh, whatever, it's five cents. I wouldn't do that. I would go back and I would pick it up because to me, it's, it's less about the money. It's more about responsibility. Does that mm. make sense to you? It's less about, which is really the case even for that gentleman that you was, who, who asked for the 20 cents back. It's less about money. It's about responsibility. And I think that's the distinction that isn't coming through because people are like, it's just 20 cents, dude. You make like 200K, you'll be fine. And honestly, yeah. he would have been, to be frank, if he had to just buy you the coffee, I reckon he probably would have been okay with it, to be honest. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's responsibility. It's this idea of understanding that money isn't just physical money. It's it's value, it's energy, and it's a function of responsibility. We're going to take a quick break and we'll be right back because I want to talk to Shami about some other things, but I'll leave everybody while we have a break. And Shami, you can have a think about this. Is money spiritual? Oh, I have an answer already. <laughs> All right. <laughs> I'm ready. <laughs> okay. If you're after personal financial advice, don't get it from a podcast. If you would like help based on your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com. Click get help and we'd be happy to introduce you to one of our trusted advisors. Our panel of advisors, mortgage brokers and accountants work with clients all over Australia so they can connect with you wherever you are. That's sortyourmoneyout.com and click get help. All right, we're back. Shami, is money spiritual? Absolutely. Money is energy. It's energy. It's energy. Yeah. It's energy. Like I, I know I, I described it before as a form of value because it is, but it's energy. It's in this, I don't know, for lack of a better term, realm, we'll keep it spiritual, keep it, keep it woo. In this realm, we use money to to signify how we exchange energy between each other. So do you think we all know money just amplifies your personality? So we know that there's, you know, this multi, multi millionaire who didn't have money. They've got money now. Now they're most generous person in the world, but across the street, same situation, not much money, gets all this money and he's now the biggest asshole in the world. It's kind of funny how it does amplify what our personality is. Interesting. See, here's the thing. I feel like I'm going to keep doing this horrible, not devil's advocate thing, but almost like changing the parameters of what you're asking. Yeah, do it, it, yeah, go on. Constantly, 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 constantly. Uh, it's, it just feels like every time people describe that, it's so reductive. It just feels very like two-dimensional. Again, money isn't money. Money is energy. Money is value. Money is, uh, it's more than just this commodity we use to, to, to pay for stuff. And to get stuff, it's like I paid this much money, I got a phone. I paid this much money, I got a loaf of bread. It's 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 more. Uh, it, 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 I worked, and then I received money. It, it's 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 commodifying value, right? It's commodifying energy, and so you're exchanging your energy, correct? Your physical energy into uh, another tangible type correct. of energy. Correct. Yeah, just for the simplicity of the world that we live in, because we can't, or at least it's. We're in a state where it's too vast a concept for us to to digest 
or maybe we're we're too busy to digest the the vastness of what of of, of being able to just exchange goods and just be okay with it. So we need. I was going to say everyone's thinking need me some more energy. Yeah, get some energy, guys. Yeah, but no, no. Think about it this way: there's a there's a saying: time is money. Yeah. yeah. Right. Time yeah. is money, which makes perfect. Like, that makes sense. Uh, we what life is the longest thing we have. Uh, making uh, if you had uh, three years to have experiences or three years to to build, I don't know, fifty million dollars of wealth, but you only had six years to live. What would you do? And then people have a range of different answers for questions like that. People are thrown strange ultimatums like that all the time. They're like, oh, no, no, I will build the 50 million. Without 50 million, I will then do all of these things. But maybe in those three years, you uh, end up in a car crash or something, and then you're not able to climb Kilimanjaro like you wanted to. Or You see what I mean? So do you see how the concept of money is is representative of something far more vast than itself, but is also completely incapable of capturing the the vastness that it is trying to represent. Hey, here's a weird kind of thought experiment. Um, There's a philosopher called Peter Singer, and he's been on my show a couple of times, and he's got the book called The Life You Can Save and talks about effective altruism and, you know, giving to um, charities that have the most bang for the buck. And his whole thing is um, people say, oh, I don't give my money because I donate an hour a week the charity down the road or whatever it is, right? Where he's saying, no, you'll get more use of um, your charitable, we'll use the word energy, if you work an hour of overtime and then just donate that hour to the most charity in need. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah. We've talked a bit and we've erred on the kind of energy and philosophy side and you know, I've got some, you know, random questions that I've got for conversations like this um, that we can pull out if needed, but I'm really loving where this is going. And I wanted to ask you about this energy thing, money and work. In this day and age with working remotely and your boss isn't listening, trust me, your <laughs> boss is not listening. Um, in this day and age, like, so for me, what I found, it's finding this energy cadence, right? And I'll, I'll, I'll spell it out for people that are new listeners. I have my diary that my PA can um, book in anything. But every two weeks, like I've got two weeks on, two weeks off. Now, the two weeks on, my PA, the producers, they can book in anything into my diary as long as it's after 11 a.m., like, go to town, lock anyone in. But the two weeks off, they can, they're not allowed to book anything in. But I still work, but I just do it on my own vibe. And as an example, you know, we tried to record this the other night, but we were flat out or it didn't happen. And I said to you, oh, let me just reorganize this directly, not through Rach the producer, because I knew I could slit it in in one of my off weeks because I wanted to do it. So, so that's how I've kind of managed my energy flow because otherwise I would personally go, 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 go and then work six weeks straight, hit the wall and have to spend the week on the lounge. So how have you in your own life with working from home or just in general, how do you manage your energy to get the best version of you? It's still a journey. I yeah. wish I had an answer. I'm still discovering. I've learnt 
I think your your plan is incredible, by the way. That's awesome. I've learned a few things. One, to-do lists bully me. I've, yeah. I've learned almost how to have a bit of a non-off switch with to-do lists. If I have a to-do list and I write one, two, three, four, I'll never do it in order because things constantly pop up. And even if you force yourself to do it in order, the thing that you neglected wasn't a distraction. It's it's essential. Like we're grownups. We're not getting distracted. These are essential things. Uh, mm. I think it's very easy to, to bully yourself and be like, oh, it's a distraction. Don't scroll on social media. My job is social media. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and I'm not death scrolling. In fact, when I scroll, it's important for me. It's how I ascertain the user behaviors and kind of go, oh, that's what the algorithm serving me because I did that. It's important for me. Uh, something else I've learned is I need to it's not so much I need to take breaks, but learning what it is that refuels me. I still don't know. I'm still learning. And what refuels me changes on a daily basis. I have discovered that being around people does, and that's a bit difficult, right, in a pandemic. So uh, kind of figuring out sensory things, like knowing if I'm outdoors, knowing that uh, if I have a mist or like a really lovely smelling mist or something, that'll help me, or or a hot water bottle, uh, finding things that fuel me from a from a physical perspective more than a psychological one because I think psychologically I'm in a pretty half decent space and intellectually I'd say most of us are in a decent space like we all know that this is just a tough time if you're in lockdown if, if you're in one of the lockdown states it's a tough time and we're all just doing our best and we have grace around ourselves and compassion uh, but sometimes that in itself isn't enough what else am I learning I I, I, I'm still honestly figuring it out. I really don't know. I wish I had a better answer and I and I really want one for myself. How old are you? I turned 31 last Thursday. Woo! Happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, I think that's because society's moved 10 years, like 65 is the new 55. Like people aren't retiring at 65 now. They're, you know, they're entering their lifestyle years. So it's not old anymore, but that means back, you know, a 25-year-old, like, aren't expected to, you know, go to war or something like that that our grandparents had to do. You know what I mean? Like, it's mm. it's just a different thing. And I honestly only really got my vibe of energy flow and how, you know, getting rid of the social norms that say you have to always work, where it, it was probably only the last couple of years where I really got confident with you know what, I'm the best version of me when I'm the best version of me. And, you know, I still struggle with the social norms of, you know, if I have a weekday off and chill. I find that I can't identify which one's a social norm and which one's me. Because yeah. for me, I, I really do want to work. Like sometimes me hanging out with my friends, uh, which I don't really do anymore, but mm. the idea of hanging out with my friends is always we're catching, we're having drinks or we're just eating or we're talking and I'm like why can't we hang out and build an app like why can't that be our socializing or why can't yeah. we be hanging out and uh creating a podcast together like why why can't those be things that we're doing that way where we're creating something and we're hanging out and uh not to negate the fact that just hanging out with your friends to get a drink doesn't have value in itself it's just I can't tell how much of this go 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 be productive and be a human doing comes from society and how much of it it comes from me probably does come from society and I've internalized it to the point that I can't identify. Yeah, but I think it's also a, a personal nature thing. Like you're very much similar to me. So for me, um, if I'm bored and want to do something fun, I will 
start and work on a new project that actually will turn out to be an income producing part of my business. Like it's this, so I can be a big mash ball, like a friend of mine, we did a bit of business together and, um, you know, I can hang out with my friend, I can talk about business, I can talk about life, I can talk about everything in one mesh where we had a conversation that ended in tears because I was talking about business and all this stuff and and she thought she was hanging out with Glenn the friend, not Glenn the business. So, but for me, I can mesh it all up and <laughs> it's all good. Yeah, it's not even a lack of compartmentalizing. It's just, it all just ebbs and flows together. Yeah. I know what you mean. I, I did an yeah. accounting cadetship straight out of high school. I feel like I should have shared this with you. So straight out of high school, I did an accounting cadetship. Uh, and look, I didn't care for it in any capacity, but all of my friends really wanted it because it's like a bit prestigious to have one. And then they, they pay you a salary and they pay for all your textbooks and you get to wear totally. a suit when you go to uni. And I went to a girl's school and I didn't date in high school. So I liked looking good when I got to uni. Uh, all of these things, right? 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 Uh, but uh, I, I ended up leaving because I... I guess on one level, I got burnt out in a weird way and yeah. I lost my voice. I couldn't talk to you, I, to anyone, but I got, I, I, uh, and if you've been trained as a vocalist for decades, you losing your voice is horrible to anyone, but I think that added a layer. And so I did speech therapy, got it back, became a full-time uni student. Uh, that was in my third year. I started actually just attending classes in the daytime for a change and had my own radio show at uni and then got really involved with, with theater and with uh, musical theater and like just allowed myself to express a little and to create. And through that, I was like, hey, I feel like journalism's where I need to be. And so I ended up doing grad school, which was technically film school, even though I got the offer for journalism, uh, because at the time I was already like doing a bunch of freelance work and working for a bunch of local community radio stations and and all the other big journos who, who spent their time there would be like, don't bother with a journalism degree. You're learning what you need to learn on the job. Uh, make sure you keep doing your internships and and do this degree instead that you're doing now, this film and more technical degree, because it will come in handy. And it's, it's, and it's all just put me in really good stead because I'm, again, coming back to what you said, this mishmash, it's allowed me to cross apply every experience I've had in my life to date to everything I do now, everything mm. I do now, everything is truly transferable, not indirectly, but directly. And I think that's awesome. Cause then you realize nothing was a waste of time. Absolutely. Hey, um, it's been a, a fascinating chat for me and I'm sure on behalf of all the listeners, they've, thoroughly enjoyed it as well. Uh, so we might finish on two or three just random short, sharp photos. Uh, photos. What am I talking about? Short, sharp uh, answers. Gotcha. <laughs> what would you tell your younger self? Have faith. Love it. If your best friend asks you for money advice, what would you tell them? What do you want? Okay. Love it. What would you do with $10,000 if it dropped into your lap tomorrow? And I'd build an app and use that as investment money, capital. Love it. Do you have any final random PSAs, comments, soapbox, whatever, anything unrelated? If you could talk to thousands of people and tell them one thing, what would it be? Just keep being kind to everyone and to yourselves. And uh, if you enjoyed what I said, follow me on Instagram. I'm at Shambondiggity, which is difficult to spell, but intuitively I think you'll understand. And if you find me, uh, hopefully I can continue giving you whatever value I gave you here. Love it. And I'll actually get um, 
the producer gals to put your Instagram handle in the show notes. So if someone wants to check it out, they oh, can brilliant. just scroll down and click, click. All right, Shami, thank you so much on behalf of My Millennial Money. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Glenn. I really enjoyed this. You're a delight and this podcast is wonderful. Oh, thank you. We acknowledge the dark and young people, traditional custodians of the land on which our studio sits and pay respect to their elders past and present. We extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may listen to our podcast. My Millennial Money supports A21, a charity focused on abolishing slavery and human trafficking all over the world. Check out a21.org.au for more info. If you would like some other giving options or if you're unsure about which charity you can support, head to thelifeyoucansave.org.au. This podcast is for education and entertainment purposes. Any advice is general financial advice only, which does not take into account your objectives, financial situation, or needs. Because of that, you should consider if the advice is appropriate to you and your needs before acting on the information. If you do choose to buy a financial product, read the product disclosure statement and obtain appropriate financial advice tailored to your needs. Simo Interactive, Proprietary Limited, the publisher of the podcast, is an authorized representative of Money Sherpa, Proprietary Limited, which holds financial services license 451289. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.